You're listening to Clouser on Business. Thanks for coming back. I'm Clouser, your host. Glad you're with us today. Well, I'm sure you've heard on many occasions friends or business associates mentioning another, another person's net worth or even their own, or hear that a business is worth X amount of dollars. Well, what is net worth and is there a difference between calculating personal net worth versus calculating business net worth? And if so, what goes into one calculation that varies from the other's calculation? And finally, why is it important to know your net worth, whether it's the personal or business variety, and how is this number used? Hey, well, I'm glad to have with me Jim Grew, president and owner of the Jim Grew Company. He calls himself the business defogger and accelerator to help us work through the topic. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thanks, Clouser. You know, uh, I stumbled into this topic. I was talking with a client. Um, he's a CEO and owner of his own business, and most of my work is with owners uh, of businesses of various types, helping them find additional sources of profit, usually through leadership and strategy. And he was talking about his longer-term plan, uh, and I realized that he, A, had no plan, B, had no idea what his business was really worth. And so we talked for an hour and a half, and I sketched him a dialogue, and I was, as I was talking, stumbled into the difference between net worth and the real value of a business, which prompts this discussion today. So the defogging part of your uh, tagline, is that uh, because a lot of business owner, business executives may be in a bank of fog and they can't even see five feet in dare front of them? No, I wouldn't dare say that. It's actually better than that. I was running a, a loudspeaker business in Kansas for Gail Sanders, and uh, which was a, a lot of fun, by the way. And his promotion manager was a young guy. He was maybe 30. And I don't remember the, the context, but he said to me at one point, kind of blurted out, you're like a windshield defogger. I said, oh, well, I guess, thank you. I, nobody ever said that to me before. Uh, and in my business as a consultant, a handle is helpful, and this ended up being something that's enough different so people would ask about it. That's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. So you're an author of uh, business books. Uh, won't you tell our listeners a little bit about that, what you've written thus far? And, uh, and I think I understand you might be working on some books that are, will be coming out in the future. I have. Uh, I, I've, the first book is called The Other Side of Succession, which came out of the discussion I described earlier, realizing that um, many business owners uh, have an incomplete vision of where their business is going to go. Uh, they don't want to die, so they don't want to talk about what it will take to hand the business over. But even when they realize they need to make plans, uh, they're limited, really, to the knowledge of their specialists, their attorneys, their financial plans, and their CPAs, who are deep and narrow and, and necessary. But they, they typically don't have a longer-term plan for how to increase the valuation of their business which is interesting because their financial planner will tell them that the single uh, richest investment most promising is their business. There is no place they can move their money that will give them the return that they will get with their business. So anyway, uh, the book, The Other Side of Succession, is about what happens when you step through the door of your office to the other side of the door and the other side of your life. How do you go there and, and do the best job you can of leaving a legacy behind you and, and being realistic about what the opportunities there are. So mm -hmm. that's what prompted the first book. Uh, it's been out a couple of years, and uh, I just completed a contract with Career Press for my second book, 
uh, and I'll read the title because they just told me yesterday what it is, and I'm still learning what the title is. So they tell you the title, then you write the book, or did? Yes, I, 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 I wrote a proposal and outlined the book, and gave them a title which they didn't like. And uh, a friend of mine who's written a bunch of books said, "You take the title, the publisher tells you, and you say thank you. You don't argue about it." Okay. I, so the the title of the book is "The Leader Architect: Why the Worth of Your Business Depends on the Right People in the Right Places." doing the right stuff at the right time. Uh, this book should be out next summer if I finish it, and I expect to do that. Mm -hmm. So the summer of 18 then, 2018? Yes. right. Okay. So uh, you, you gained your business experience. Uh, you, know, you started out doing what? The, the old-fashioned way, you, you would say. Um, I studied business in school, but I went to work in Jewel Food Stores in Chicago as a frozen food clerk, and which is... Um, supposed to be good for the soul if you have an MBA. I was just terrified, and it was really hard work. Um, but I worked, front, worked my way through a training program there and, and became an officer of that company. Uh, and ultimately, years later, uh, I've run nine businesses. Um, six of them have been businesses uh, that are privately held. Uh, and so my experience is mostly about my mistakes and what I've learned from the founders and owners of these businesses and the people at Jewel, which was then a $3 billion, very successful business. Mm -hmm. Very familiar company uh, if you're from the Midwest like I am. Yes. I remember growing yeah. up, growing up uh, uh, that was a you know, very familiar name uh, you know, where I grew up. So, hey, well, our topic today uh, is on net worth. So. Jim, what is it, and why is there some confusion or misunderstanding uh, with it in some arenas? Well, net worth, um, first of all, is found on your balance sheet, uh, and it's, uh, it's a math formula that's arithmetic, so anybody can do it. It's basically assets minus liabilities. The problem with that definition is in the definition of assets and the definition of liabilities, which is why everybody has a CPA. Uh, Thank you. It, they, you're welcome. And Clouser is a CPA, by the way. But the, uh, the simple way to say that is the net worth is what you have after you've paid your debts. In accounting, however, it, it's a much more complicated definition because there are so many variations in the definitions of assets and of liabilities. Uh, so it, it's confusing. Um, but the real problem is people think it means what they are personally worth, and it doesn't. Uh, and there are several ways to look at that, but we, and we'll go along. But it's confusing because people take that business term and then apply it to their personal circumstance, uh, where it actually works better. So, uh, as you mentioned, I got a little knowledge on uh, accounting. So, uh, in, on a business balance sheet, uh, assets are recorded at cost, liabilities are uh, fair unless there's a special liability that might be discounted or something. But anyway, that formula comes back to what we would normally say is uh, book value mm -hmm. of that company. Exactly. And to uh, your point, the reason you, uh, if you want to get a uh, true net worth or, or true value of that is because the assets are not recorded at fair market value for, you know, for one Correct. thing. Correct. So, so is there, so is there a difference between uh, or what is the difference between personal net worth and business net worth, and how do you get the two to, uh, you know, combined uh, to come to what your net worth is? So uh, that's a great question. I'll come at it this way, remembering that I'm not an accountant. 
Um, a personal net worth is basically what you have after you pay your debts. It's, it can be construed pretty simply, and yes, I'm sure your accountant can make it complicated. But if, if your main asset is your home and it, it, is, um, it could be sold for a million dollars and you have a $600,000 mortgage, you're worth $400,000, a million minus 600000 It's that simple. Um, now, if you own a business, it becomes way more complicated because the value of your holding in the business isn't so simple. As a matter of fact, there's a whole profession of people who value businesses, and they're called appraisers, which is a strange name. Uh, but their job is to figure out what the real value of the business, and we'll slide across to the business side of this thing because uh, what a business is worth has a very clear definition, and it is what um, a buyer and a seller would agree on as a price in an open market uh, with no undue influence on each other. That's the value of your business. Uh, so you'll notice I didn't say net worth because the value of your business is what you could sell it for, provided it's an ongoing. Well, no, even if it's not ongoing, it's what you could sell it for. On any given day. On any given day to, uh, the technical term is a willing buyer and a willing seller. But you'll notice that net worth is not in there. And the reason is that if you think about being a buyer here for a minute, a buyer thinks forward. We all do this. When we buy a car, we're imagining ourselves driving the car for the next year on whatever is the trip we've dreamed about. We're not thinking about where the car was built. Frankly, we could care less. Likewise, if a, if a buyer buys a business, <clears throat> excuse me, the buyer is interested in what he can do with it or what she can do with it going forward not where it's been. So while the starting point could be, and we'll talk some more about this, but the starting point could be a look at the balance sheet. It really is a combination of what the buyer sees in the business, partly measured by the financials, partly by other things. And on that business's balance sheet and income statement, what might that buyer be looking at uh, on each of those? Well, the buyer's first question is, what's going to happen after I, after I buy this business? What are the sales going to be, and what are the profit, profits going to be? The balance sheet represents resources to him that he can use to go get the sales and the profit that he thinks he's buying. Said another way, a buyer buys a stream of profit with, uh, with risk around it. So the buyer will look at what are the profits likely to be, and what is the probability of those profits occurring. And so if it's very risky, the buyer will pay less than if it's a slam dunk. If it's a slam dunk, then he's going to pay a higher price. And I think everybody can understand that, whether you're, you're going to goodwill to buy a sweater or buying a car or a house. The same thing goes on with a business. So the value of a business uh, is not the net worth, period. The net worth is one of the 30 pieces in the puzzle. Uh, that's not well understood. So let me ask you this question, Jim, sure. uh, and you, cause you've dealt with this a lot. So how often does the uh, potential buyer really look at the balance sheet versus his attention or her attention might be to the future income streams of what the revenue generating portion of that business is? Cause, uh, cause per, you know, purchase business purchases are structured in many different ways to make certain things work, you know, between buyer seller. Well, understanding first that I don't know all buyers and sellers, but um, 
Of course, a buyer is going to look at the balance sheet and usually is going to pay a financial expert to dig into the balance sheet to be sure that it fairly represents what's there because there are ways to present the, the numbers which may be a little more optimistic than is real. But, uh, so the balance sheet is an important piece of the puzzle. There's no question about it. Uh, but there, if there's a big difference between a business which has $20 million in cash and a $20 million business which they own $19.5 million on, to make it really simple. There's, in one case, there's lots of cash to grow the business, and in the other case, there's probably a liability because there, there's a risk of losing that building, which could con- contain the business. So the balance sheet's important. I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. And in an ongoing business, it's critical. But uh, I've advised my clients, in particular, to add the valuation, and we'll talk about that in a minute, as the bottom line on their balance sheet and look at it every month. Uh, and in fact, once they are consistently profitable, then I've suggested that they begin working to increase the valuation of their business, not the profit. They are different because the valuation is an estimate of what they will be paid when they sell the business or what the business will be worth if they give it to their family or sell half of it to their brother or however it leaves them. That valuation number is an important one. Okay, so maybe I know I've had my business, and uh, maybe I know I want to I want to sell it for whatever reason. Maybe I'm at an age where I'm going to retire. Might just be that I want to move on. Maybe I want to go do something else. So, uh, what things can I do as a business owner to start building up the worth of my business, like like you're talking about? Uh, there are several. Let's back up a second and, and clarify the definition. Um, most business owners will tell you they will their business will sell for some multiple of EBITDA. Uh, and most of them aren't sure what EBITDA is. It's not mysterious. It is earnings before taxes, amortization, and depreciation. And if they aren't sure, they can ask any financial expert to, to tell them, what is your EBITDA? It can be pulled off of your financial statements. And so anyway, I say to them, record EBITDA as a separate line item on the bottom of the balance sheet every month. You should know what it is. In most, not all businesses, but most businesses, the valuation, meaning the price you go to market at, is some multiple of EBITDA. So it's important to know what it is. So let's back up for a second for maybe a listener that's uh, not familiar with that. So EBITDA is earnings before Interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Thank you. Okay. I misspoke and you corrected me. It's good to have an accountant in the house. Well, that's okay. Uh, so, uh, and that's really an easy calculation to make, isn't it? It's very easy, and, and it's actually a way better measure than profit, it turns out, because it's a measure of the strength of the business uh, if you take away what is being paid in taxes or interest. So, so how strong is the underlying business is the question. Because remember, if you're a buyer, you're looking at what's going to happen in the future. And you may change the debt structure. You may be able to change the tax hit and so forth. But you want to know what is the underlying strength of the business. And this is one of a, of a number of very good measures. Yeah. So what, uh, what does EBITDA, that calculation, really give you? That gives you, uh, in simple terms, the, the operating, if you will, the operating profit of the business. Uh, and it's the best I, estimate I know of uh, how strong the business is and how, how healthy it will be and how well it will um, survive 
tough times and also some capability of growth. I mean, it's a very, very important number. It's more important than profit. Yeah, and, uh, not, and not to get down into the weeds too much, um, uh, if you're buying or looking at buying a, say, a privately held company, you may take that EBITDA number and add to it some other things. Yes. Oh, there's a, absolutely. And that's part of the analysis. Let's come at this a, a little different way. When, okay. if, you're, if you're going to go to market, um, it's a two-step process. And sadly, the second step is not discussed much. The first step uh, is the price you take the business to market at, and it will typically be some multiple of EBITDA, and the multiple defines the risk in your industry and of your business. An average number is four. So if your EBITDA is $2 million a year and your multiple is four, your price is $8 million. It is that simple. The problem is there's a part two in the negotiations of sale. The buyer's job is to try and find a way to buy it for less. We all do this, right? Well, gee, can you give me some help here? And that part isn't discussed. And what the buyer is looking for, in, term, in, in, in that is in finding ways to lower the price, is what is there in the financials that, that won't translate forward? And there are all kinds of things uh, in there. For example, the owner may not be taking a salary. That will have the effect of inflating EBITDA uh, because the next guy who runs the business or woman who runs the business is going to be paid, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But more to the point... Uh, the the backside analysis is going to look at what things will cause this business to work well or not in the future, and they're not necessarily on the balance sheet. It, there may be a new competitor uh, that GE has just bought, and GE is going to put millions of dollars into equipping them with people and, and uh, machinery, and they become a formidable competitor, and so sales and margins are going to be at risk. Mm -hmm. That will have a huge impact on the price. Well, uh, yeah, and I don't – again, I uh, this is an uh, exciting uh, – I don't want to sound nerdy, Jim, but this is kind of an exciting topic. But, uh, but you know, how important – what factor would this be – let's just say it's been – uh, a man running or, you know, a, mm -hmm. so, you know, a single owner running this business it doesn't have to be a man, to, male or female, but it's been a single owner. That mm -hmm. was my point. Uh, how, how, what happens when someone sees, well, the business is really because, you know, Jim owned the business and he had his heart into it. He was the knowledgeable one. He had all the expertise. So now he's going to go sell it. Jim's not going to be part of the business. What happens in a scenario like that? Yeah, you teed that up. That's a great story. It's actually true. A friend of mine who's in the business of selling businesses um, tells this story about a very successful businessman who started the business, grew it to a, it was several hundred million dollars uh, a year in revenue. He's a very wealthy man was very proud of what he did, and he was talking with the buyers about the business, and he repeatedly took credit for the success of the business. I did this, and I was responsible for that, and I'm the reason we have this, and I'm the one with the... And so it, in his view, he was the reason that the business was great. The problem with that is that when he sells, he's not in the business, and so what the buyers are buying is a shell. Uh, I don't mean that he misrepresented. I mean that he's not there. And so the main engine for the business has to be replaced. And what that does is change who is a, uh, a potential buyer, who can run the business, and what is the level of risk. So the game is, is fundamentally changed if, as an owner, you don't build a team of people around you who can run the business with less and less and less of you. So if I so for instance, if I know that's the situation, say it's my company, if I know mm -hmm. that's the situation, then... 
to your point, I need to be doing certain things within, say, the next four or five years of the time frame I want to sell. And some of those things are building teams. Anything else? Yes. Um, There's a string of things to do. Uh, Let's start with accounting because it's straightforward. Um, Your your accountant will tell you that your financials uh, are fine the way they are, but you are going to need audited financials and you're going to need three years worth in order to get the most out of your business. And the way you get audited financials is that you have a year of reviewed financials uh, which in which you pay some money to your accountant to find the things you need to change so that when you switch to audited financials, they'll be good. If you don't have audited financials when you sell your business, it will cost you one EBITDA. Let me say that again. Remember, we said your EBITDA was $2 million. It will cost you $2 million. You. No, there's no way around that because the buyer can't rely on your numbers. It's not personal. But he can't. So that we just put you four years down the road for a sale. So in the fifth year, before you think you might sell, you begin making the list of actions you need to take. That's number one. Number two, uh, you need to begin to build um, a leadership team. And the test is, can you be gone for two months with no contact? That means no email, no text, no Instagram, no whatever is the thing your kid uses, no phone, nothing. And the business will do well. If you can do that, you've built a management team that can survive. And true story, I was talking about this with a client. And this is a guy who's run his business for probably 25 years. He took it over from his dad when he was 31, I think. And um, I said to him, can you run the business? uh, Or will the business run for two years without you? Or for two months without you? And he said, oh, sure. Then there was a pause. And then he said... No, you know, it won't. Honest man. <laughs> so that's a great test. And so if they can't, you get a management team, and that's worth an EBITDA. If in the search for building a management team you find a general manager, and that often is the case, if you, particularly if you look, that's worth another EBITDA. And finally, if you task this team with growing your business at 5% per year for four years, that's worth another EBITDA. And so... You can put it another way and say, you don't have to do it. They do, and you can bonus them based on part of the additional earnings they come up with. So you work less and make more. Not a bad deal. Mm -hmm. So uh, build a good team. Get yourself, your financials uh, to the point at where... I, I wanted to clarify, too, because sometimes words in accounting are used outside of accounting, like review. So... uh, for those who know, Borea, for those who don't, there's basically three uh, types of services a uh, CPA firm will perform on your financial statements. It's a compilation. Basically, it's taking your information, uh, checking a few things, being sure some things are uh, gap. They may, may they may or may not be gap. The other, the second service is what they call a review service. So I wanted to clarify what Jim was maybe yes. saying was uh, maybe – Take your financial statements, if your accountant's not doing them for you, take them and have them look them over and give you some feedback on, hey, you're going to have to do this, uh, not under a, quote, reviewed financial statement service, which is uh, a service that's just underneath auditing. Mm -hmm. And then if auditing, if an audited financial statement is what you ultimately need, as Jim was speaking, then then that service is the third, the highest level, where the records of your company are tested and certain other uh, 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 things are performed on the financial records of your company, 
and then your uh, firm will render an opinion one way or the other. So I wanted to clarify that. So to Jim's point, take your financial statements and have your accountant look them, just look them over, not under a, a uh, professional service, but just have them look them over. Then if something needs to be done where they, to where they can get to be uh, an audited uh, service performed on them, and, but ultimately that's where you need to go if you're going to be serious about putting your financials in front of a uh, prospective buyer. Yes, exactly yeah. right. And um, the press is full of stories about the millions of dollars available to private equity groups who are trying to find ways to place their money. And part of the story is that when they do make deals, they place a higher multiple. But I, I have a client, actually, I'm coaching the CEO of this company. This is a about a $500 million technical company owned by a private equity group. And the problem is they needed to buy another business as a part of their strategic plan, and the price was so high they were literally choking over can we can we raise the profit quickly enough to service the debt quickly enough to stay within the covenants of our lenders mm-hmm. and that sounds that's a bunch of technical stuff if you're not a finance person but the net of that is that it's no picnic out there trying to sell your business because there are lots of things that go into the sale so Good financials matter enormously. And most, to be simple about it, the best buyers will ignore you if your financials are lousy. They don't want the they don't want the risk. Well, you know, let me say this too: uh, is every business owner, every business should have good monthly financial statements anyway. Yes. I mean, I don't know how you know what you're doing or where you're at if you know if you don't. So it's a discipline. If you're not doing it, you need to do it. Uh, okay, so uh, back to EBITDA for a second, mm-hmm. Jim. Uh, is that something I calculate every month, quarterly, annually? What do you think? Oh, well, I would calculate it every month because it comes right off your balance sheet. The, n- the numbers th- are all there. And if, if you're not sure how to do it, um, your controller or your CPA can do it or can ask your accounting firm how to do it once, and they can put it there every year. And then you steer your management team toward building that number instead of the profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, the, the follow-up question I had to that, too, was so not every industry uh, maybe has that same multiplier. Uh, I, yes. I think the average multiple now is six in the market, but they can range from two to 12. Uh, and there are industries um, that uh, software can be one. Uh, garbage hauling, believe it or not, where the price is a multiple of revenue. And so there, there are a few different formulas for what your selling price is going to be, but, but the core point is that your net worth is not going to tell you what your business is worth. It's just not for mm-hmm. your business. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, we, um, so we're, now we're talking about net worth both on a personal and a business, primarily business, but how, how do... Uh, other than maybe selling your business, how is, how is this number used in other ways? Well, it was interesting. I was talking with another client who was a, a real estate developer, and uh, we were talking about the, the kinds of things that I just mentioned about his business. And he said, well, I've been working for 25 years to build up my personal net worth. Does that not matter? Uh, and he was, he's a big guy. He's about 6'4", and it seemed to me he got a lot taller as he was talking about this and started to get red. And I thought, oh, geez, I've angered him. And I said to him, no, it's, it's completely different. For your personal net worth, that's really important. And it is literally what you own minus what you owe. I'll say that again. What you own minus what you owe. And it's usually pretty straightforward. 
You can value your home if you want. That's not difficult to do. And so the only difficult part in your personal net worth will be the value of business assets. And we're now back to having them appraised. Is that a good measure? Absolutely. That's a measure of your financial strength personally, and it's, I think, very worth doing. Uh, It's a real measure of how well you're doing as opposed to how many cars and houses and boats you have, which Mm -hmm. may or may not be a good measure. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, back back to you for a moment. So this is the type of work that you normally do is helping businesses? Yes, uh, yes. The the question is uh, almost always one of two things. Uh, it's either um, can you coach this senior executive to be more effective or can you help us? We're doing fine. Can you help us find more profit without having to spend a bunch of money to get it? Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if people wanted to find you, what's the best way for them to find you? The easiest way is my last name is Grew, like I grew up. Uh, my name is Jim Grew. Look it up on the on the web. As my kid called it when she was little, the interweb. And uh, my website is there. My phone number is is the other easy thing to do. It's on the website, and it's 503-544-8857. And believe it or not, I will answer. Mm -hmm. And you do, uh, you also have, I'm aware of, uh, you publish a, a weekly something on the internet? Oh, yes, I do. I I realized I've actually written... um, what is 150 plus 270? You're the you're the numbers guy. Whatever that number is, I've got a microphone in front of me. Don't ask me that. 400. <laughs> um, these are weekly notes of about 600 words, and they're just thoughts about business. And the reason I started writing it is that when I was running businesses, there was nobody I could ask who would have practical knowledge. You know, they would they would quote um, good to great which is a wonderful book, but it's way above me. So these are available. If you would like to get them, tell me. I'll be glad to include you on the list. Well, uh, very good. Uh, we're, out of, we're out of time for today, Jim. Uh, this has really been good, but I want it for our listeners. Let's just sum up uh, uh, something on selling the business, EBITDA, and how those, and calculating this, the business net worth. If, uh, the, the short answer is if you own a business, Uh, and you're over 45, you should be calculating EBITDA and the valuation of your business. If you're not doing it uh, or you wonder how to do it, call me, and I'll be glad to help you do it or get you connected with financial people who can get you a a sharper sword if that's what you need. Mm -hmm. And you also do uh, coaching for executives too? Yes, I'm coaching. I counted now four different executives right now. These are senior people, usually of more substantial firms, uh, they're usually – I don't coach people who are about to be fired. I did that once. That's a waste of money. But <laughs> these are – well, you, you, you learn by trying, right? Yeah, well, I, and I hope – yeah, you weren't coaching them. So, yeah, so yes. that, no no part you played in them getting uh, fired, no, right? <laughs> no, it's su- successful people who typically need to be groomed for the next uh, uh, position. Uh, and it's, a C- it's C-level people, is a simple, that's the letter mm-hmm. C, like CEO, chief operating officer, chief financial officer, that level of people. What happens, and the reason they need coaching is they're successful, but when you move up a notch, what matters changes. Yeah. I, I've used business coaching in the past, and, uh, you know, I would suggest to any of those people you're talking about, business owners, high-level executives, uh, to pursue it because... 
you need a different set of eyes on things and, you, and you, there's a certain validation that has to come or should come with you know how you're approaching things because though you know the, you're surrounded by great friends employees uh whatever but uh, you need to get someone who you know you can talk to explain your business explain yourself and they can help you you know guide and direct which i know you do a good job at. i do so. thank you yeah you're right it um if it's a compliment and it's from your friend you don't know whether it's true uh if it's from your board you don't know what they're after uh, if it's a criticism and it's from your friend you don't know what they're after and if it's a criticism from your board it isn't the place to debate. And mm-hmm. so what you need is somebody that, that you know has your interest at heart who's played the game. Yeah. Well, very good. Hey, well, this this has really been uh, enjoyable, Jim, uh, uh, with the topic on calculating the net worth and your insights on a lot of different things. Uh, the Clouser Coda for today's podcast is when establishing bench, benchmarks in order to measure your business's performance, your company's real net worth should be one of those benchmarks. Well, I hope the discussion has been interesting and it's uh, challenging to take the time to make knowing your business's net worth a part of your ongoing financial planning. I, I do want to say that, uh, and uh, I, I've got to say this disclaimer, that uh, Jim and I are not attorneys. Uh, we don't offer tax advice. Uh, if you want that type of advice, please go to your uh corporate counsel or your personal attorney and uh, check with your CPA on the accounting and tax uh, effects of what we've been talking about today. So, uh, but uh, Jim, really, uh, thank you again. Well, you can, uh, as Jim was saying earlier, you can learn more about Jim at www.grewcompany.com and on our website at uh, clouseronbusiness.com. And you'll find many of the principles Jim discussed in his book titled The Other Side of Succession. Looking forward to your uh, new book, whose title I can't remember, but it's coming out next summer. But uh, be be sure to tell your friends about our podcast. We're on uh, TuneIn, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, and always at Clouser on Business. Well, all for now, you've been listening to Clouser on Business. 